0: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks.
1: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel, and today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Kurt Kelly. Kurt is the president at Mobile Insurance and has been with them since 1996. Mobile insurance has been ran as a family business since 91 and is the largest provider of insurance products to the manufactured housing industry in the nation. Kurt is also the founder and publisher of the Manufactured Housing Review, an industry publication dedicated to manufactured housing industry professionals. He is the past chairman and board member of the Texas Manufactured Housing Association. He's also the co-founder and managing member of the American Insurance Alliance, an association of manufactured housing specialty insurance agencies with a total premium uh, volume in excess of $180 million. Kurt is a real estate owner and active manager, including investments in mobile home communities, he is also the managing member of Expert Climate Control, which is a commercial HVAC contractor uh, in Texas. Kurt, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for that long introduction. I think it, uh, I almost fell asleep though during that.
1: stuff. Oh, long no, long no way, man. We're happy to have you here. Uh, maybe you can you know, start out by telling us your story and how you got into manufactured housing insurance of, of all niches.
0: We, was kind of a, I'll give a quick story on uh, mobile insurance. Mobile insurance was owned by General Electric in the early 90s, back when General Electric was the 21st of the mobile home industry, did most of the financing. And General Electric, at one point in the time, decided to get out of the business completely, just exited overnight. And they ended up, and my stepfather was working for him, and he ended up buying what little chunk there was of mobile insurance, which is monogram at the time. And uh, the and we started that my mom and stepfather started calling on mobile home parks. In. And the time I was working as a lawyer in a small town, and they'd asked me to come join them a couple of times. They finally, after some years, they wanted to retire and uh, wanted me to come join them and buy the agency from them. And uh, I, just the last time they asked, I had just finished two week long trials of divorce cases. So if you ever want to have a miserable life, become a divorce lawyer and get involved with human beings at the worst lowest part of their life and that's what I was doing at the end of that two weeks they called me on that Friday evening and said hey let us let me try to talk you into it one more time before he started talking I said yes
1: <laughs> easy sale yeah
0: wow so that's that's the story so I'm a, I'm a refugee from a divorce law
1: wow I did not know that learned something new Kurt we'll just we'll just dive right in here you know, what are the most important things that passive investors need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? You know, what are like the, the items that are scariest and, provi- you know, provide the most liability?
0: Okay, but I want to focus on something that's passive. So passive investor, if I was a passive investor looking at mobile home parks, I would be less interested in uh, mobile home parks with high, Uh, vacancy rates, because that's a lot of work, bringing in homes, selling homes, renting homes, filling them up. Two, I'd be really worried about communities with a lot of park-owned homes with a lot of deferred maintenance. Uh, Passive investors are not as good as maybe people like you that have a lot of connections, are good with rehabbing homes, fixing homes, know what to do, what not to do. They're not as good at that. So that's maybe two things to really watch for. The third one, here's a little trick. Go to that mobile home park on a Wednesday at 10 a.m. If you see a lot of working-age men standing around doing nothing, it's a red flag uh, because working-age men are kind of like teenagers with too much time. It's a bad recipe for issues for just having a bad tenant base that just becomes difficult for someone to manage.
1: Love that. Yeah, those are some great tips. So, say you're you're an active operator, you know, for that for the active operators. What items prevent or present the most risk, you know, and have the most claims every year in mobile home parks?
0: Some of those same things, even for active operators. And if you're selling homes, think about this: if you're actually selling a house, that's a great way to fill a park. It's a great way to build equity. And some of our best operators do exactly that. But it's also a lot of liability because you've got to have a forty thousand pound object brought down the highway at seventy miles an hour that you're going to own. Um, they're going to connect it to a couple power sources. One, if you touch, you die. The other one, that gets loose in your house, everybody dies. Um, and they're going to set it up on blocks where you've got people crawling around underneath it. Um, what could possibly go wrong? Um, so that's uh, that. That's uh, something a lot of people don't think about. You're selling a lot of. You're involved in a business with a lot of heavy labor, heavy equipment, heavy moving, and then just overall with your. Uh, um, th- things to watch for, um, and and I get particularly worried. The, the, the worst thing I hate is when we have a client that has a problem that's not insured. It's a big problem, and so be careful about mobile home parks in low lying areas and hundred year flood zones. Those are expensive to insure. So expensive that most people in those areas don't insure them. They just say, "Well, I'm just going to take that risk." Uh, so be be real careful about that. Um, in particular, right? Uh, you, know, you had mentioned to me when we talked about too long ago. What are you doing with all the pandemic stuff? Uh, I mean, how do you how do you how do you manage that risk? And the and the answer is right now. There's really no good way, uh, other than realizing it's out there. Um, insurance has not covered pandemics. Um, the loss of income coverage uh, requires some sort of physical damage to your property, and pandemics don't provide that. Um, I, I read a, uh, there was a Texas legislator recently that filed a bill that's wanted to require all insurance in Texas to, re- to cover loss of income in pandemics. And the insurance association guys were talking about, I heard him talking about it, and said, we have to go talk to him and go, well, okay, we can do some of that. But you the estimated loss with the pandemic was about $300 billion a month across the country. But there's a total of about $900 billion of total capital in insurance, countrywide in insurance. So that's three months. If they'd done that, that would have been three months before all insurance companies are bankrupt. There's nothing less to pay any other claims. And by the way, there's no more insurance available. And by the way, if you don't can any insurance, you can't finance it. You can't finance it. You can't buy it. The world comes to a stop. So the answer was really going to be, one, we don't know how to price it. Because we don't know, do we start it when the mayor says your town's closed, when the governor says your town's closed, when the president says your downtown's closed? Um, and uh, we don't know who's going to do it where. So it was, it's, it's one of those things that's probably a poor, some risk is just not a good fit for insurance.
1: Totally agree with you. I was looking at a video on your website, uh, mobileinsurance.com and, or mobileagency.com and i saw a video you did on like the top the top things that park owners could get sued for and i think one of them was dogs the second one was trampolines and the third one was was the employees like just just you know issues with the employees so maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about those hazards and you know the real risk that they pose to mobile home park owners
0: well i would say As as a general rule, anytime anytime your tenants are doing something that's risky, uh, you're going to end up with that bill. You're going to end up with that ultimate liability. And it's because in most cases, most tenants don't have enough assets or liability insurance to cover a major problem if it happens. And so what ends up happening is that you end up sitting at the defense table alongside, let's say, the offending tenant. Let's say one tenant, we've seen this, one tenant raped another tenant. You would think. I've got no liability for that. I'm not for rapes. i never said it was for sexual assault. Uh, we've got nothing that ever said that we wanted part of it. part of our business plan, it's whatever. But in those cases, we've seen juries go, well, we sure feel sorry for the victim. And we know the rapist doesn't have anything. And we know that Andrew's really, really, really rich because he owns real estate and he rents it out. So what's, a, what's two, four, five, $10 million Uh, Against Tim, we'll assign thirty percent of the liability to him, and thirty percent of ten million is three million dollars. There you go. So now your responsibility for a a legal rape. So I would say, like with the dogs, uh, and I love dogs. In fact, my dog is sitting right there. A golden retriever. Walk
1: by, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, And uh, but you got to be real careful with tenant dogs. You can't control them. You don't know if they're trained. So when they bite other people, it's a problem. Trampolines are the same way. I, I love getting on trampolines. Those things are a lot of fun, especially if you've had a couple beers. But the problem is you can't manage them, you can't maintain them, you can't tell who's going to be on there, you can't tell who's going to be there at night. And by the way, uh, even when healthy people flop off trampolines, they hit their heads and their, and their spinal cords. And to, in today's legal world, if you have a claim against you involving damage to a brain or spinal cord, the judgment is whatever you got. It's not... But five hundred thousand—it's not a million. It's not—it's t- whatever you got. That's what the judgment is, because I've heard the juror. I've heard the good plaintiff lawyers. It's exactly what they'll say, Andrew. They'll say, "Okay, Andrew, I'm going to offer you right now two million dollars for your ability to walk. Will you take it? No. No. What well, if I give you five million dollars? I'm going to put you in a quad in a wheelchair. Would you take it? How about fifty? No. That's exactly the same. I would say the same. No. It's not, whatever it is, it's not worth it. So they, whatever number can magically appear in their head, that's the number that the signs. You can't bite off risk, you know, like dog bites. Uh, there's a lot of great pit bulls out there. I know people with good pit bulls are sweet dogs, but pit bulls account for 65% of all dog bite liability in the United States of America. And so as a, as a park manager, you just have to stereotype that dog. And you have to say, we can't afford to have that dog in there at all. Now, if they've got papers that say that's a service animal or a support animal, <clears throat> make them supply all that information. <clears throat> that's going to give you some protection if a problem happens. But you just, the general rule, you can't live with tenants creating obvious and open problems that you're going to be dealing with.
1: Definitely. Let's see here. So what's the, the worst case scenario? You know, a lot of investors in this space always ask about the tornado uh, or the hurricane that just destroys an entire mobile home community. Uh, maybe you could shed some light on the insurance side of, of that risk and how operators can offset that.
0: Okay, let's talk about tornado and hurricane exposure. Um, and this is a good year to do it because I think last year we had multiple park owners that had significant damage with hurricanes and a few that were straight by tornadoes, but nothing uh, catastrophic. Okay, first of all, tornadoes. Tornadoes are an easier risk to insure. It's an easier risk to buy insurance for. Uh, they tend to hit very small, constant, very small areas. So, even if they do total destruction, insurance companies can handle that pretty well. Versus the cone of destruction on a hurricane can be 70, 80 miles wide, versus a tornado that can be 80 yards wide. So, hurricanes are more tricky from that perspective. And you've got a lot less insurance companies interested in insuring. In hurricane areas the other problem with hurricanes is they have that not only wind exposure they've got flood exposure and that flood exposure is exceedingly expensive to ensure so uh those are issues so now okay let's say i want to make sure my community is properly set up against tornado or hurricane wind exposure i've got investors it's not just me it's my aunt and it's Uh, Andrew Kill and it's Kurt Kelly, and they've both thrown in 10 grand in this deal, and they're not going to be happy if I lose their money. So what do you do? Well, you can buy loss of income coverage, which you should, because it also includes something called extra expense coverage, which will pay you to remove the debris of tenant-owned homes. And what you'll find is, even with tenants with insured homes that get money for debris removal for their own homes, they never, ever, ever pay for it. They just walk off. And so if you've got 80 homes in your park, all tenant-owned homes, and the debris from all of them there, the cost to remove that debris is $1,000 to $3,000 per home. Hmm. So you've got coverage for that. You also have extended liability coverage, income coverage. So once the park is cleaned and reopened, your income coverage continues until you have time as a good manager to come in and uh refill that park with either rental homes or some sort of government grants they're bringing in with people getting fema money to buy a a nice down payment on a home so you can you can do those things so the other thing i would say is if you've got infrastructure in your community which is either a building uh of some sort or above ground utility infrastructure that will get destroyed often with those direct tornado hits you might think, well, that's not likely to happen, and if it does happen, it's forty, fifty thousand dollars. I can live with that. But the problem is, a lot of times you're getting that exact same bill. The same time, you're out of money for income. You've also spent money on cleanup. You've also spent money on everything else, and then someone lays a fifty thousand dollars bill on top of that. It becomes suffocating. Uh, that's not that expensive to ensure You can do it. We've got many examples of people that had bad tornado events and even bad hurricane events that have come out through the back end of it as good or better than they were with you know maybe a better tenant base, better homes, better setup, better income, mortgages paid off. So if you insure it right, it's a manageable risk. So there's a lot of good reasons not to buy mobile home parks, but I would say tornado exposure is probably not one of them. Hurricane exposure, depending on if you're in a flood zone or not,
1: maybe. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Let's see here. So... On a typical mobile home park acquisition, what are the insurance policies that you you, know, you recommend that an operator have? You know, what are like the must haves, uh, you know, that every mobile home park should have on their, their real estate?
0: Well, generally you can buy what's called a package insurance policy. Not always, depends on the community. But a package in policy is gonna include liability insurance, general liability, which is premises liability, uh, someone, drowns on your property, someone's electrocuted on your property, someone dies of carbon monoxide poisoning on your property, they slip and fall and break their neck, Uh, they fall into a septic system and drown, which we had that happen this year, Uh, um, that covers that exposure, which is probably the number one thing. It also covers property exposures, like your office building, if you have that in the community, or if you've got a big improvement on a warehouse or a contents in there, and your loss of income coverage. If you can buy the loss of income coverage as part of a package, it's generally fairly inexpensive. Uh, Maybe one-third of one percent of your income per year uh, in most parts of the country away from the coast. So that's what you would start at. Um, I also like tenant discrimination coverage. We're getting more of those claims where they won't rent to me uh, because of my race, my sex, my sexual practices, uh, whatever they come up with. not because they're a convicted Fallon who raped seven kids it's because they were Irish and they've got Notre Dame football gear and you can't stand Irish fans what
1: do you think about cyber liability you know is that something that you would you, you see a lot of claims on
0: well I would say this um, when I started in the 90s in insurance I, I think 95 percent of all of our thefts were physical I think we're well past the point to where mm-hmm. most that in the United States now is electronic, and uh, a big issue with community investors and real estate investors is you guys got a lot of cash, and the thieves have figured that out. And so they figured out ways to do what they call electronic wire fraud transfer, electronic fraud transfer of money from your accounts. So and they'll basically mimic your account. They'll call your banker. They'll have it set up with an email for your banker to wire them fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand dollars from your account. And it'll look exactly as if you did it. And if it's your fault, not the banker's fault, but your fault that it happened and your system was hacked, it could be your loss, not the bank's loss. So we really like in that cyber liability world, now you can buy that coverage in addition to coverage for people to hack into your system, steal all your tenants' information, and now you got to send a notice to everybody that you do. Um, someone that hacks into your system and says, oh, by the way, we're not gonna bring up your system again until you send us $100,000. So that's the second most uh, prevalent claim with cyber issues. And you get people in there just like to mess your stuff up. So if you've got a computing system and you get the wrong software, it may be gone. It may just be lost. And you can buy coverage to fix your software and even replace your hardware if it's so messed up that it can't be replaced. Those policies are for a mobile home park operator. Start at twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars, and I think it's a good investment right now for anybody with either a very large community or multiple communities. Uh, I, I think it's money well spent. I think it's probably underpriced right now. It's a good time to buy it. Although we're seeing a lot of pressure now for getting that electronic wire fraud coverage because insurance companies have figured out that you. You guys are the exact target of those thieves because you guys have all done something miraculous. You've collected capital and saved money. And now it's in a bank account. It makes you one of the very rare people in the world have done that. And they'd like to share like a chunk of it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty scary. I mean, you know, just, just to consider, you know, you're trying to wire, wire money in for closing or something. And it's, it's very real. I've had some friends that have, been compromised so there's
0: there's been multiple people in our industry that have lost six figures and here's well, here's how real. Here's a good tip for everybody on there call your banker today and say you should never ever wire anything from any of my accounts in fact i want it in writing unless i or my vice president or whoever you else have designated is sitting in front of you that's that's a good business practice and it's a little bit hard on some people to do them every day but you need to have make sure you've got very specific protocols if you get sat outside that at all. Now let me, let me take my company, for example, I'm the worst possible risk because one, I've got a ton of cash in my account and two, it's not mine. It's the insurance company. I've collected Andrew's money. I put it in my account and we have to pay for the insurance company in 30 days. So I'm really ticklish about that. So we've got very specific protocols that have to be followed in the last Two years, we've had two instances where someone's contacted the bank claiming to be my team and wanted to transfer wire money out. And in both instances, the bank has called called because of our demand that they do so to follow up and say, hey, why do you want to send $50,000 to Bert Jones in Saskatchewan? Uh, well, we don't, uh, is the answer. So do that that's, today. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, that's a great tip. Let's talk a little bit, Kurt, about park-owned homes. You know, it's, it's the ugly duckling, uh, you know, in the, the industry, you know, a lot of park owners will put the park owned homes in a separate LLC and then own the real estate in one LLC. Uh, and then a management company altogether is a separate LLC or a separate S corp. Um, maybe you can talk about park owned homes and, uh, how to kind of shield some of that liability, uh, you know, because it is an un, un, it's a, it's a necessary evil uh, that, that a lot of park owners are forced to do until they can sell them off and make them tenant-owned homes.
0: Yeah, I, I think overall, putting park-owned homes in a separate entity, once you get past maybe 10 homes, maybe before that's not worth it. There's just not enough risk to justify another LLC, another set of books, um, you know, uh, you know, another set of, you know, records overall. But after that, I think it's probably a good idea. And here's what you really get with an LLC. Think of an LLC as a self-contained uh, globe. But if something goes wrong inside of it, the worst thing it does is it destroys everything in it and implodes. But you don't lose everything outside of it. So I've got the LLC that owns the park-owned homes. I've got the LLC that owns the real estate. I've got the LLC that owns the management company. And I've got my other my house, my other investments all over here. The worst case you happen if you have the LLCs, you just lose in that. So I kind of, I really like that perspective. From an insurance perspective, we don't really care if you own it in the same LLC or separate LLC, we can name them all in the same account. I think anybody like that's got multiple parks probably ought to have a management company that does, is owned separately than the real estate owning company or even the park owned home owning company because management company have these awful little assets they're really nasty to deal with called employees. Uh, none of us would have any of them. If we had any other <laughs> viable option in the world, uh, we would not have them. And by the way, employment lawsuits are the number one civil lawsuit in the United States, category of lawsuits in the United States right now. So get them out of your real estate. And you know, the worst case is, okay, so uh, Kurt uh, said something about my the way I was dressed today and I've got a $10 million judgment against him. I've got that in a management company. I go, all right, well, the management company is yours. You own it today. Uh, And by the way, I'm out of it, so I'm moving on. I'll start a new management company tomorrow. We'll reassign stuff, and we can do it. The same with park-owned homes. Here's, a, here's how the, the park-owned home deal works. Now we get brain injury and spinal cord injury and carbon monoxide cases settled within policy limits. as we go, okay, yeah, you can sue us. And you can go for an excess judgment. And you can't own those 35 homes in our park. But if you own them tomorrow, you owe rent to our other entity in the amount of $400 per month per home uh, starting tomorrow. So we're kind of happy about that. We didn't really like that that much anyway. You loan all that, you own us all that, and they go, well, well, slow down. We'll just take the $2 million of insurance.
1: That makes sense. So with the park-owned homes, you know, say you're doing like a straight rental, uh, do you need to have a separate bank account just for the park-owned home entity and, and collect the income through that entity and then pay the park
0: out of that? Yeah, you need to run them as separate little companies. You always the same ownership and management, but you need to have separate books, separate bank accounts. You probably have money going back and forth. If you don't, you run the risk of a lawyer saying, "Well, it's just a subterfuge. They didn't even they didn't even believe in their own company. They didn't even treat it as their own company. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it." So it's we're going to disregard that entity. It's harder to do that than most people think it is, but it's you, you can have that happen if you don't have your own tax ID number, bank account, et cetera. But if you do this, it's pretty simple.
1: Wonderful. Um, Let's see here. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes, Kurt, as uh, an insurance broker?
0: Okay, well, I'm gonna answer that literally from my perspective, so here we go. So I want a park that's gonna be the most expensive there is possibly to insure because that's what I'm gonna make my 12% on. So I want you to buy a park in Chicago where everybody sues everybody for everything. I want you to have a ton of old used manufactured homes that had no maintenance on them. Uh, and I want some significant lack of occupancy issues too. Uh, um, and I want you to have your own water system in an area that's known for bad water. So that's what I would say. So now if uh, you look at from Andrew Keel's perspective, I want a real community. I don't want any park-owned homes. I want 100% occupancy and I want no amenities. Um, That part is cheap to insure. It's easy to insure. It's easy to manage, easy to operate. It's also probably the most expensive one to buy. Uh, I'm guessing uh, you guys would know that better than me, but um, I'm guessing because it's a passive investment with a lot less risk.
1: That is a great tip. you know, we've been told amenities in communities like swimming pools and dog parks are, are really nice playgrounds are nice to add. Uh, could you maybe give us a tip on which amenities are also uh, not gonna make our insurance costs go through the
0: roof? Um, swimming pools will cost you about $600 a year extra, plus the, you know, what's three, four dollars a month extra to operate, whatever that operating cost is. So. Swimming pools are probably the most expensive amenity and and the one most likely to cause you a million-dollar liability loss. Because generally speaking, if anybody drowns for any reason in your swimming pool, it's probably policy limits. Um, uh, There's just too many things that just have to be perfect for it not to be the case. We've got out a few of them, but not much. Um, dog, Dog parks, it's an evolving risk. Insurance companies don't like evolving risks. They're asking a lot of questions. They're insuring them now, but boy, I don't know why you would want to get people and dogs together because people and dogs for dogs fighting and getting involved in the middle of them is a recipe for problem. I just rather have dogs on leashes walking around the park, not around each other, than in dog park. The playgrounds, I would say, that's the best thing. They look nice. They're low maintenance. I have decent equipment. They're inexpensive to insure. In fact, I've argued with my insurance companies. We should charge nothing for a playground because that means now the kids are on the playground and not in the streets. And then as a consequence, I only charge a couple hundred bucks a year for them. So that would be my choice. If I was a community owner, I wanted to put a nice amenity that looked nice.
1: All right, the playground is the winner. Um, (laughs) So Kurt, last question for you. What's your final piece of advice for investors out there interested in mobile home parks?
0: Uh, You'll be picky, do your research, buy what fits you buy the property that fits you, buy the car that fits you, buy the motorcycle that fits you, the clothes that fits you. Um, You know, I I would never, you know, my investments, I invest through other people. I don't have time to manage them. I would never have the ability or time to manage a park that had significant occupancy issues or a bunch of rental homes, but just out of my skill set, out of my time set. Um, So now there's other people I know. In fact, probably the most successful financially ones have all those problems. And they manage them well, and their return on equity is higher. Their cap rates are 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 they're buying them at a higher cap rates, selling them at lower cap rates. They're doing much better. But they're uniquely skilled people with knowledge. So buy what fits you. Uh, and if you've got a park in a flood zone or it's got a pollution problem, it I I don't think those are discounted to the extent that they should be to be viable estimate investments. That's what I see.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we just were under contract on a property that was, nobody knew it, the seller didn't even know it, but it was built on an old landfill. And as we discovered this and, and talked to Mike Renz, who uh, is our environmental uh, engineer, and talked to, you know, attorneys, you know, environmental attorneys, there's, there's just a, a ton of risk you know, if if seven years from now, you know, a little girl gets leukemia and somehow it's tied back to uh, the landfill. Uh, So there's a lot of risks out there, right? But, you know, uh, everything, uh, you know, comes back to making sure you have your your I's dotted and your T's crossed and making sure your policies are uh, covering, you know, the risks you're taking.
0: That environmental risk can attach to you forever personally. Yeah. You can never get rid of it. It's like, catching herpes you got it. And, it and no matter what happens 100 years down the road you could have a liability so i don't know how you buy it
1: yeah we had to pass we had yeah. to pass well kurt thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it uh how can our listeners get a hold of you if they'd like to do so
0: boy I'd, uh, thanks andrew i love being here it's always fun to see you and talk to you I right. usually see you in the gyms in the morning when we're at the events together uh you, you can reach us at our, uh, mobileagency.com. Uh, 800 458 4320, 800 458 4320. Or call me on my cell phone. If you're got. If you're looking at most parks we're talking about and you're worried about it, give me a call and uh, we walk through it and I can tell you if the risk match 281 460 8384. Just put Kirk Kelly in there, problem mobile home park. Uh, and I'm, I'm the guy with all guy. I hear nothing but bad news. Andrew never calls me and says, today, we collected all of our rent. Everything went perfect. The secretary came in and gave me a pat on the shoulder and said, man, you're smart. And yeah. like, I never get that phone call. I, had to call the phone to go back.
1: I mean, Kurt, you and I probably talk a handful of times every year. And I really appreciate your uh, willingness to share and just shed light on, uh, on the insurance side of things and making sure we're covered. So thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Investing on Instagram. See you there.